It is good for us today to draw near to the Lord. And it's a pleasure to have uh, the Reverend Jeremy and Kimberly Graham. Where's where Kimberly and the kids today? From Vancouver with us today and uh, a joy to have them with us last night to think together about, about uh, family ministry and youth ministry and children's ministry. And we had a good night last night. Um, so joy, Jeremy will be preaching for us today. And I hope that you get a chance to meet the Grahams uh, following, following our service. And our gospel reading today comes from Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to read beginning at verse 9 instead of verse 15. And I would invite you to stand as I read the gospel reading. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to himself saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distrib distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you be seated as we pray? Heavenly Father, we ask now that your word would cut straight to our heart so that we might be able to receive the kingdom of God like a child. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's a great pleasure and joy to be with you guys. And, uh, and I, our, my family's been enjoying this weekend in Kelowna immensely. Thanks for the beautiful sunshine yesterday. And, uh, and it was lovely to get to know some of you last night and have some fellowship and, and talk over children and family ministry with some of your leaders and some of your volunteers last night. Joy for Kimberly and I to be here. Now, uh, let me introduce myself very quickly. My name's Jeremy Graham, and I serve at St. John's Vancouver as children and family minister. And I'm also grateful to John for a warm invitation to preach today, and he was even kind enough to let me choose the text. So I, I chose uh, Luke chapter 18, and it was my intention to really focus on verses 15 to 17 about the children and sort of talk to you about children and family ministry, but you know, the Holy Spirit has an interesting way of uh, taking what, your plan, what you plan to say and bringing you back to the Word of God. So actually, that's why I added to the reading today, because actually, what I discovered as I went into this chapter in Luke is that this, these two verses, these three verses about children, are sandwiched in the middle of this much bigger story about entering into the kingdom of God. And so it's only right, really, that we actually, that the sermon's going to get a lot longer. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But that, that actually that we look at this whole chapter in its context. And we're going to have some things to say about those children in the middle, but also about the Pharisee and the tax collector and the rich young ruler. So a little context first. Luke 9 to 19 is uh, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and to the cross. And as he's traveling, the central, te- the central theme of his teaching revolves around entering the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to lie, that this, this idea of the kingdom of God is not really an easy thing for us to wrap our heads around. And, uh, but really, what I, want, what I want you to see is that the kingdom of God is Jesus' way of talking about repenting and believing in the gospel. And, and Jesus is the one who's bringing the kingdom of God, and he's calling us to repentance and faith. And... If I'm going to start talking about the gospel, some of you are going to say, you know, I'm not really interested in hearing about the gospel. And so if you're, if you're thinking about just kind of tuning me out for the rest of the time, all I would ask is that you just give me a chance and just, just listen today and see, see what Jesus might be saying in Luke chapter 18. And then others of you, probably most of you, come to church every week and you're used to hearing about the gospel. And uh, you probably think you already know the ABCs of the gospel. And to you, I just want to say that as we go through this chapter, Jesus is going to be confronting us with two uh, very, very slippery temptations for our hearts. Because even though we may have begun by receiving the gospel by faith, Paul tells the Galatians that what you received in the Spirit, now you're working out in the flesh. You received the gospel, but now you're striving to earn salvation. And so this chapter is every bit as much for those who aren't really sure what to make of Jesus as it is for those who already call him their Lord and Savior. So let's dive in. Because Jesus is saying that you and I have to receive the kingdom of God like a child. And Jesus knows full well how difficult it is for us to to recover some of that childlike quality, that childlike quality that we can actually begin to lose as we grow up, as we mature. And he wants to address and confront the, the two big obstacles to the gospel that our, hearts, uh, that our hearts face. Number one, self-righteousness. 
And we see this in that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And number two, self-satisfaction. Being a self-made man or woman. And we see that in the rich young ruler. But even better than just pointing out what the problem is or what the obstacle might be, he's then going to go on to tell us what is the great corrective or cure to these two big problems. So here's what I'd like us to do. First, I'd like to look at each of these obstacles, one at a time, and then I want to look at Jesus' corrective to them. Let's start with self-righteousness. And if you have Luke 18 open, it would be very helpful. We can look at verses 9 to 14 together. We're going to explore both of these obstacles under the same three headings, so it'll make it easier for you to follow, hopefully. We're going to look at it as uh, for using medical language, okay? So we're going to look at the patient, the symptoms, and the diagnosis. The patient, the symptom, and the diagnosis. We see first the patient in verse 9 and 10. Jesus told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, treated others with contempt. Two men went up to pray a Pharisee and a tax collector. So Jesus is going to use a Pharisee, this highly religious and respectable, respectable man in the community, as his example of self-righteousness. I want you to imagine a member of the parish council here at Christ Church. I want you to imagine that he's also, uh, he's also, maybe he also sits on the city council of the city of Kelowna. He's a very highly respected man in his community. And what are the symptoms of this self-righteousness? Look at verse 11 with me. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. And I want you to notice three things about his prayer. First of all, did you see how many times he said the word I? Five times. I'm this, I'm that. I'm so glad I'm not like him over there or him, her over there. It's entirely me-centered. Secondly, you see how he's comparing himself to those around him. He's comparing himself to, to uh, extortioners and adulterers and then most of all to the tax collector who's standing at the, the very back of the church. And this is what Jesus is talking about in verse 9 when he told this, par this parable for those who are showing contempt to their neighbor. Because this man is not loving his neighbor. And thirdly and finally, do you see how he's adding extra works to the gospel? This is a little harder to spot. But in verse 12, when he says, I fast twice a week and I always give tithes of everything I get, he's actually going above and beyond any sort of pious action required by God's law. So, uh, so he, why is he doing that? Well, ultimately, it, all this me-centeredness is leading, leading us to, to understand that it's actually just for his own glory. He's not doing it for God's glory. He's not doing it for the love of God or his neighbor, but it's just for himself. And so Jesus' diagnosis, thirdly, in verse 14 he says this, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And, and just to help dig a little deeper into that, in verse, in verse 15 of chapter 16, Jesus says this about people who exalt themselves in this way. Listen to this. And he's talking to Pharisees here as well. You are those who justify yourselves before men, and God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Very strong language there. So Jesus' diagnosis of this man's problem is a diagnosis that, there, that there's actually a deep problem in his heart. You heard me talk to the kids. All the outward signs are good. 
but there's a problem in his heart. In his pursuit of God's favor and love, he's actually failed to recognize his own inability to make himself right with God. He's so proud and arrogant and hard-hearted towards others that he can't possibly receive the grace of God. And I, I just, friends, I want you to see what a shocking diagnosis this is. That someone so upstanding and, and religious could receive such a rebuke and condemnation from Jesus. And with that in mind, let's turn to the second obstacle, which is self-satisfaction. And we see this in the rich young ruler. Okay, so first of all, who is the patient here? And we see that in verse 18. Have a look at verse 18 with me. A ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's, it's not exactly clear what it means that he's a ruler, but we know at the very least that it means he's a man of authority and also an important man in his community. And then in verse 23, we learn that he's also extremely rich. And in Matthew's gospel, in his version of this story, the, the last thing we learn about this man is he's young. So in sum, we're talking here about a self-made man. He's young and he's aggressive and he's upwardly mobile. He's a highly respected member of the community. Interestingly, he, he's, he's wealthy and he has status, but he's highly respected because he's actually earned it. He hasn't, he's not like a, you know, like a mafia guy. He's an upstanding member of the community. He's a Kelowna small business owner who's cashed in on the swelling economy, right? And now he owns a large home and a powerboat, and, and he's well-liked because he's honest, and he works hard. And you know what the best thing is? He's not even 30 years old yet, so the sky's the limit for this guy. But listen to these symptoms that Jesus uh, points out, the symptoms of his heart. First of all, the symptom of hard work. It's in this question he asks in verse 18, Jesus, what must I do? And then Jesus gives him this whole laundry list of commandments, and, and this man, guess what? He's kept them all without disobeying. He's like the ideal son, right? He's the son that we all kind of, uh, parents, he's the son that you all wish that you have when he grows up, right? He obeys all of God's law. But it's in this question that we discover, I mean, he's asking entirely the wrong question. And if you're a naturally, if you are naturally a hard worker, maybe an entrepreneur, a self-made woman or man, I just want to say this is a real temptation for you to see your relationship with God as being all about this question, what God must I do? The harder I work, surely the more I'm going to please God. But let's press on to the second symptom, which is coveting. And I need you to stay with me here. We gotta, I really need you to concentrate because we've got to dig a little deeper to unpack this one. Okay, so look with me at verses 20 and 21. Let's see what I mean by coveting here. So, this laundry list of commandments that Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he says, all these I have kept from my youth. Okay, well, you probably know these are coming from the Ten Commandments. And these are commandments, actually numbers five to nine. And, uh, and the rich young man is pleased to say, to be able to say, hey, actually, good news, I've obeyed them all. Never broken them once. And so Jesus responds with this. He's going to dig a little deeper, verses 22 and 23. Jesus heard this and said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And this is key. So far, Jesus has deli had deliberately left out commandment number 10. Commandment number 10 says, you shall not covet. And so when he commands the rich young man to sell all his possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me, now he's finally bringing the conversation to that last commandment. And he's putting his finger by doing that on the very heart of this man's problem. Because this man is in love with his possessions and his wealth. It's all the fruit of his hard work and, and it's all the fruit that he's gotten by obeying the law. And you know, it's true that, that you and I, we can, we can work very hard and we can outwardly keep most of God's commandments. But Jesus is putting his, his finger right on us and he's saying, when you come to commandment number 10, that's the one that no matter how hard you work, you can never keep because it's a matter of the heart. And, uh, and no matter how hard you work, you can't, you can't, your outward appearance can't mask the fact that coveting is just a slip of the mind. And so this rich young man is coveting his possessions and he's unable to give them up for the sake of the kingdom of God. And the key moment for him is this moment where he loves his possessions more than he loves the Lord Jesus. He loves them more than the cost of giving them up to follow Jesus. And so he breaks the 10th commandment. And the moment he breaks the 10th commandment, you know what he's done? He's actually broken the first commandment. You shall have no other God before me. Because now he's worshiping his money, his possessions, more than God himself. And that's what the Bible calls idolatry. And it brings us to the third symptom. Jesus has brought him to the moment where he's broken the first commandment. And you know, when we're a self-made man or woman, self-satisfied by our own hard work and independence, we begin to worship our own accomplishments and the fruit of our labors. And we come to love money or power, our own independence, more than God. And Jesus says that we cannot serve two masters. Our self-satisfaction, it puts us at enmity with God, and we thus stand guilty before God our judge. So Jesus gives the diagnosis. This rich young man is unable to leave behind his worship of money and follow Jesus. He's in fact, did you know this? He's the only man, in, he's the only man or woman in the gospel who comes to Jesus with a question or a problem and goes away empty-handed. The only one. Listen to the diagnosis for this man in, in verses 24 and 25. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So let's review, let's review where we are so far, okay? We've looked at the two obstacles to entering the kingdom of God that Jesus wants us to see. The first is self-righteousness, and the second is self-satisfaction, being a self-made man or woman. So those who depend on either of these two strategies for pleasing God, Jesus says, they're never you're never going to be able to enter the kingdom of God. They'll find themselves condemned under the law and standing on the outside looking in when Jesus comes to judge the quick and the dead. And let's be, on, let's be honest, brothers and sisters, this is a sobering reality check for all of us because these two men have all the outward signs of religiosity and even blessing from God. And yet it turns out that to all just be vainglory and vain pursuit 
without that inner transformation that's necessary in order to receive the kingdom of God as a child. And so, at this point, I think, I mean, maybe you're at a place that you're with verse 26 here. Your response is, how can, how can we be saved? That's what verse 26 says. Then who can be saved? Are we doomed to just throw up our hands and admit defeat? Is, is God just too exacting and the kingdom is just too fussy for any of us to ever get in? Absolutely not. And verse 27 is a key verse in life, not just in Luke 18. Let me read it for you. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So let's close by looking at the corrective that Jesus offers, the hope of the gospel offered to us as a free gift through Jesus Christ, the correctives. Now, when people, when people talk about receiving the kingdom of God like a child, it's easy to think of childlike innocence here. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about? You know, we receive it like a child. You know, those children up here, they're so cute and innocent. <laughs> any of you who are parents or have spent any time with children, you know that's just rubbish. I mean, kids are a lot of things, but they're not pure and innocent, at least not for very long. So Jesus isn't talking about just innocence here. He's talking about how we receive the kingdom of God and the qualities that we have. The quali- they're qualities of two things, at least two things, childlike humility and childlike faith. And when we receive childlike humility, this has to do with our status before God, and it corrects our self-righteousness. And second, when we receive, when we receive the kingdom of God with childlike faith, this has to do with our dependence on God, and it corrects our self-satisfaction. So let's very quickly look at childlike humility and childlike faith. Verse 13, Hmm. the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So, a couple things. This tax collector, first, has absolutely no status in the community. That's why he's standing far off. He can't even come into the middle of the temple. Secondly, he has no status before God. That's why he can't even make eye contact, eye contact with God. He's looking down at his feet. He simply comes in in utter humility before God, and he says, God, do with me as you will. I surrender myself to you. And, you know, I think this is, this is a quality that children understand much better than we do as adults. You know, in the ancient world, children, they had no social status, no human rights, they had no voice or no, and any role in the community. And even today, in a, in a culture that's, that privileges children with all sorts of indulgences, most young children, they, they're still able to display this beautiful humility in how they relate to those around them and how they relate to God. They, are no, they know still how to ask for help, how to acknowledge their own inability to learn new skills. And I think you see this very well in their, a good example is in their prayer life. Have you ever heard a child pray? how they address their Heavenly Father and how they view the majesty of God's creation around them as a sign of God's infinite sovereignty and their own relative status as just his creation. And so Jesus declares in verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he's the one that went home justified rather than the other. And this word justified or made righteous is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in communicating the gospel of justification by faith. It's the humble acknowledgement 
that our status before God is entirely dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. By his wounds, we are healed. We're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our self-righteous aspirations, but rather the pure and the blameless righteousness of Christ, which reconciles us to God. And this childlike humility that Jesus is calling, to, calling us to, it sweeps aside all the prideful aspirations to self-righteousness that we still have. Nothing to the cross I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And secondly, this quality of childlike faith. What does that mean? What is Jesus calling us to here? In verse 28, the Apostle Peter, who loves, loves to open his mouth, he speaks up and he declares, Look, Jesus, see, we have left our homes and followed you. Now, you might want to question Peter's motives there, but he is on the right track. As Jesus points out in verse 29, he says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many, more, many, many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is talking about the very things that he talked to the rich young ruler about here. He's saying about giving up family and property. All the things that the rich young ruler was so reticent to give up. And so a childlike faith is therefore, it displays an utter dependence and a trust in the Lord to provide for all of our needs. So that even if we were to give up our family and all our possessions, we know that he would provide everything we need. And you know, my, my experience tells me that children are capable of a beautiful childlike faith. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, preparing a talk for, for the annual general meeting at our church, and it was right down to the last minute. And I was getting pretty stressed out. And my daughter, Naomi, six years old, comes in and she says, Daddy, I can tell that you're worried. And I, 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 I want to pray for you. I want to teach you a prayer that, my, that I learned at school. And so she said, I want you to imagine what it is that you're worrying about. Put it in your hand, and then repeat after me. And so I'm like, oh, brother, you just, I got only a couple minutes here. You know, let's get this done. And she's like, put it in there, Dad, and then say this. Lord, I offer it to you. And it just, right to the heart, right? So I prayed it with her. Lord, I offer it to you. And it was such a blessing to me in that moment. And that's the beautiful thing about faith. It doesn't really depend on how old you are or how wise you are or, or what the world's estimation of you is. I mean, what, let me ask you, what is faith dependent on? What is faith dependent on? It's, it's not subjective. Christian faith is not subjective. It's not about how much you believe. Christian faith is objective. It's dependent entirely on the faithfulness of God. And our faith is actually a gift from God. And this means not only that a child can have a deep faith, but a child's faith can even be an example and a witness to you and I, as Naomi's faith was to me. And so let's conclude. Well, Luke 18, Luke 18 is confronting us today with the gospel. Jesus is saying to you and I, he's saying to us, come and follow me. That's his invitation to you this morning, this afternoon, pardon me. But there are, Jesus admits, very real obstacles that prevent us from truly entering the kingdom of God. They are self-righteousness and self-satisfaction. 
And by self-righteousness, we declare that we don't need the cross of Christ or anyone's help to make ourselves right with God. And Jesus warns us that our self-righteousness will not satisfy the wrath of God. It will not justify us before a holy God. And he calls us to a childlike humility and repentance. And so we say, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And self-satisfaction, by which we declare our own independence and we worship ourselves and our accomplishments more than the Lord God. And to this, Jesus warns us that it's difficult for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And it is impossible for any of us to be saved by being a self-made man or woman. And he calls us to a childlike faith and invites us to receive eternal life as a free gift through the victory of Christ. And I want you to hear these closing words from the, mouth, from the mouth of the tax collector Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, the childlike faith of this sinner saved by grace. Zacchaeus said to the Lord Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.